This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. In the multi-trillion dollar coronavirus relief bill passed by Congress, the military got only a tiny sliver, a far cry from its typical portion of the federal budget. It brings into sharp relief the fact that viruses don't care about the size of your army. Cato Institute Vice President Chris Preble details what that might mean for defense spending priorities going forward. No, I, I think if we look at this sort of sort of back up a little bit and we think about traditional threats to human security over time right for as long as we can you know we know you know human beings have fought with one another they've threatened one another and so traditional defenses against invasion and attack um go back you know to when we formed into you know organized societies um and so for so long our national security was organized in that way and even to this day our military is sort of postured in a way to deter threats and to retaliate um in the event that those deterrents fail um i do think that 9-11 and terrorism in general was a different sort of problem in the sense that it was primarily it was perpetrated by non-state actors people who did not have a fixed location and all those other criteria that sort of differentiate them from traditional state threats like the Soviet Union or uh, or China, for example. Uh, and yet in that case, the military proved reasonably adaptable to being able to sort of pivot to dealing with both state and non-state actors and you know continue. And again, we've we could have a separate conversation on whether or not the decision to militarize the approach of counterterrorism, was actually effective or if a different approach might have been more effective i i suspect we, we might have tried something different and um it might have worked even better but the point is in the current environment that the military instrument seems particularly ill-suited to deal with um uh, a, a faceless nameless pathogen um in fact as we've seen tragically over the course of the last week um the military is is quite vulnerable to these pathogens and you know so uh, an aircraft carrier with close to 5000 people in close quarters is uh, is a lot like uh, a cruise ship uh, in terms of the the difficulty of containing the virus and things like that so um, I, I think we're perhaps moving into a period where the allocation of resources to the military uh, at the expense of um, other tools and, and public health uh, th- there are going to be some real trade-offs there, some hard trade-offs, I think, uh, for, for the military going forward. How has the military responded? Well, I think that certain elements of the military are, are well positioned to deal with this problem. And so, of course, you have this massive um, healthcare system for the military. And so, you know, famously, uh, the HMS Comfort and the HMS Mercy, the two hospital ships in L.A. and New York, are the kinds of capacity that could be put to use in the event of a of an emergency. They've been used, for example, to deal with disaster relief after hurricanes and typhoons. So, so in that sense, there's a there's a common thing. Um, you have medical doctors and medical uh, and nurses who are affiliated with the military helping with sort of um, emergency hospitals that have been set up in major cities. So that's all uh, fine. And then I've also written a little bit about um, you know there is an infectious disease laboratory network that was mostly set up to deal with uh, uh, bioweapons, 
uh, but those same labs have the kinds of skills and capabilities that could be put to use uh, to deal with a with a virus that was not created for the purpose of being a weapon. So, you know, there are some elements of the military that are useful in this crisis, but but they are a tiny, tiny fraction of the total of the sort of military establishment. And uh, and so again, I think that that there are going to be some real uh, hard questions for you know to be, to be blunt about it. What exactly does an aircraft carrier have to do with with uh, defending people from um, from an infectious disease? And the answer is none or virtually none at all. When you say difficult questions, presumably uh, some of this has to do with uh, military spending. That's correct. I think that it's, there are always trade-offs, of course. And in, in terms of military spending, um, usually we think about the trade-offs within the military budget because military spending has remained quite high consistently even when the threats have gone you know come and gone um and so it's often become a competition between is the navy uh winning at the expense of the army or is the army winning at the expense of the air force etc uh but but again i think now we're likely to see competition uh between the military as a whole and uh other instruments of of the public health community and other um, aspects of, of of the government uh, power and, and influence that that might be more useful, not just against this particular pathogen, but against future diseases. And again, we have to recognize the argument is that this is a black swan event. This is a unique, truly unique event in human history. Um, at least, you know, we go back to the Spanish influenza from 1918, 1919. So this is something that does not come along very often. Um, how much do we want to reorient our approach on the basis of one um, outlier event? Uh, but the outlier event of 9-11 uh, caused us to, to reorient pretty substantially. Um, so in what ways is this uh, unique outlier event very, very different from 9-11 or other, uh, other cases like that? As I spoke with uh, Eric Gomez recently about uh, the U.S. relationship with China, that's been damaged as it has with China and uh, various other countries around the world. But more broadly, what, it, what does this mean for uh, grand strategy of the U.S. military? Well, it's, it's probably too soon to say definitively, but I think it's not too soon to speculate. So, for example, um, a lot of U.S. foreign policy, at least since the end of the Second World War, has been organized around the principle that the United States is reasonably secure and, and has... So excess capacity or can make its excess capacity available to others who are under greater danger. So we did this during the Cold War for Western Europe that was threatened by the Red Army. Um, or uh, in East Asia, we do this to deter, for example, Chinese attacks against or Chinese threats against our allies and partners in East Asia. Um, with the argument being that we don't have to worry about uh, the very proximate th dangers because we're reasonably secure. Well, the difference today is that the is the danger is here with us. It's among us. It's not far away. And so it's harder to make the case, it seems to me, on sort of foreign policy and grand strategy grounds that we have the luxury of worrying about distant threats uh, when when uh, when we're dealing quite literally with a matter of life and death right here in this country. It's it's a it's a situation that we have fortunately been able to avoid throughout most most of American history, frankly, that uh, that we just were were insulated from very, very serious threats uh, to the country. Uh, and if this 
this threat rises to the level it appears to, where you're talking potentially about as many people dying from COVID-19 in, in one year as have died uh, in all U.S. wars since the Second World War. I mean, that, that sort of puts things into perspective. Uh, and so I think we're likely to see um, a, a change in the way that um, uh, U.S. foreign policymakers and national security strategists sort of think about distant threats as they relate to to more proximate ones. How did the Pentagon make out uh, in this $2 trillion uh, spending bill? The military got a very, very small share and the about $10 billion out of $2 trillion. Um, compare that with the military in a typical year receives about 55% of discretionary spending. Uh, just the military, it said just the military, just the Pentagon. Um, so, and the share that military got from the financial aid package was almost exclusively sort of focused on the additional expenses that the military will incur uh, because of this disease. So um, in terms of thinking in the future about additional increments of money going to the military, perhaps at the expense of um, public health resources, things like that, I think this is an early indication that, uh, that 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 competition is going to be quite fierce and that it will be uh, incumbent upon military planners to make a compelling case for why their particular weapon system or program is actually vital to the safety and health of the American people. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.